So Christian, if you're like, I just want to know the deep things, sink deep into the gospel. Know it backwards, forwards, never grow old of it, never grow tired of hearing it, never when a gospel message is preached and an invitation extended, do we check out as the church? Go, oh, this isn't for me. You can be blessed in that moment. Because it's, it takes us again back to the beginning, where it all started for us. We believed in that and that has taken us to where we are now. The gospel never is something that becomes elementary to us and basic for us. It is the core and heart of who we are and why we do what we do, how we live. It is the heartbeat of God. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Tonight, as we get started, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 6. He says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight and just the opportunity to worship you again and um, to come together and be encouraged as we fellowship with one another, as we pray with one another. Uh, Lord, we pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would move among us. God, we're, we're so thankful that you are a God uh, who dwells among his people. And Lord, you're with us, you're in us. And Lord, you desire to come upon us in power with the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray and ask, Lord, would you do that tonight? Lord, would you increase our faith? Would you begin to minister in areas of our life that are, are lacking and in ways in which we don't even know that we're lacking, God, would you come and, and hold us up and encourage us and strengthen us? And Lord, give us wisdom and understanding as we uh, go through your word. God, would you teach us what it is to walk with you and uh, how, to, how to know you more and how to draw closer to you? So. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week we studied through verses 1 through 5, um, and we looked at Paul's determination to preach the gospel simply. And he starts this, that portion of scripture in the, the, first chapter, or the second chapter, telling them that, hey, when I came to you, I came with this intention and a determination that I'm just going to preach Christ. I'm going to preach him crucified. I'm going to let Christ be the magnet that draws people in. And so that was the attitude. And that's kind of what we looked at last week, kind of what is the mission of the church and what was our goal is to present Christ. We're determined to continue to preach the gospel, to preach it simply. We're not salesmen of Jesus. We're not trying to get people into a new Jesus car. We're, like, we're just simply giving the message of Jesus Christ and allowing that message that is powerful to do what it is capable of doing. Now, and the reason that is, is because in Corinth, there was this mentality of a scorecard mentality. Um, you know, back in, in that time, there wasn't a whole lot of like things to do. If you're like, I got done early with my farming. Uh, it's not like you're like, I'm going to go surf or I'm going to go on a hike. Um, that was just called walking back then. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. But, but um, there wasn't a whole lot of entertainment. One of the things that they would do is they would go listen to speeches. 
Someone would give this eloquent speech or, or they would hear a reading or something like that. And so Corinth really prided itself on eloquence and wisdom and hearing some new thing and philosophy. And so they, they kind of had this mentality of sitting like a group like this and listening to an eloquent speech like this um, every week and, and hearing someone speak and they would, you know, wow, I mean, that's a 10 right there. I mean, I never heard vocab words like that before and, and stuff like that. So they had this mentality of a scorecard mentality of applauding someone's speech. And so when Paul comes to Corinth, he makes it his aim that the, the draw and the highlight of everything would be Christ and him crucified. And that's what Paul's main point in those first five verses. We were supposed to go through like 16 verses last week, and I don't know what happened. I don't know where I was. Um, I was here and I was teaching, but I, was, I don't know what happened. So we didn't get very far, so we're going to pick up back in verse 6 as it continues. Um, he's saying that when he came, that the message was presented by a trembling and fearful and weak servant that the power of God would be demonstrated and on display. And so that no flesh could glory in the presence of God, right? That's what he says in verse, um, verse 30 and verse 29 of chapter one. Now in verse six, we pick up with, now that he's made that point, like it's the power of Christ, that's the message. We came in simplicity. And he says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. And I don't know why that mature word made me laugh because I am super immature uh, for a 34-year-old grown, grown man. I'm extremely immature. Farts are still funny. Like, I don't care. It's still hilarious. But, <laughs> but he says, however, we speak wisdom. Hold on a second. Wait, he just said in the previous verses, like, we're not here to, like, proclaim some fancy, eloquent uh, speech. However, that does not mean that the, the gospel message is not filled with wisdom. He stayed away from reasoning with wisdom of man, but not because there is no wisdom attached to the word of God or to the person of God. It, it wasn't that because God is so simple and so we're just going to preach simple. God is extremely complex, isn't he? In who he is. You try and explain the Trinity and all, all of that, you know? God is, is one, but there's three. It's like an orange, it's like the closest we get, it's, or it's like an egg, or it's like ice or in water, or it's like, and we have all these things. It's not even close to that, is it? That each part of the Trinity exists in separation, yet one full community, all with the same mind and same purpose, yet exalt the Father. I mean, it's an incredible, difficult part of who God is, and that just, that's just one part of who God is and his power and his omniscience and his omnipresence and all those things. You try and sit there and figure it out or to explain that to someone who has no idea who God is, they're going to think you're crazy. You try and explain to someone spiritual warfare who has no real recollection of God. You're like, demons were attacking me. And they're like, all right, schizo. You know, like, I don't understand what that means. When Paul is saying we presented in simplicity, he's not saying because the gospel and God is so simple that it's, it's so mundane, there's no wisdom attached. He says we preach to those wisdom who are mature, who are mature. Those that, who, who know God or, or who have an understanding of God. There's so many parts of God that are incredibly amazing as we look into them 
It's like a prism that gives us another multifaceted look at the love of God or the grace of God. It's something that's inexhaustible. and un un I mean, it's, it's going to take us forever to experience all that God is in heaven. And even then, our mind is still being blown by who God is. His cross, it casts light on everything in this world, and we see it for what, what it really is. I mean, who God is, it changes everything as you come to Christ. It changes everything. It changes the way that you look at money. It changes the way that you look at relationships. It, it changes the way you look at stuff. It changes the way you look at your job. It changes the way that you look at the opposite sex. It changes the way that you look at, you know, all that stuff. Christ changes everything. And Paul is saying that is ununderstandable by someone who does not know God. It's something that's beyond their understanding. And so to them who have no recollection and no, no real understanding of who God is, we don't preach this kind of wisdom to them. We preach in simplicity that they need to know God. And Christ has made a way. To those who don't know Jesus, the message that we preach to them is not just be a good person, you need to change your life, Jesus makes things better, is that you need to know Jesus because if you don't, you stand before God condemned in your sin and you stand there alone on your own two feet and say, I'm gonna give an account for what I have done. Jesus says, I have come that you don't have to stand alone. I stand in your place. You are in Christ, hidden in him. That is what we preach to those who don't know Jesus. The hope of heaven, the hope of the cross, the hope of eternity with a loving, gracious God. And Paul says there's wisdom found in that. But to those who are mature, we do preach wisdom. But that wisdom is only accessible by those who have a heart to receive it. And Paul refers to this person who is mature. The idea is full grown, full grown. I don't know why I just said that so weird. I think I was running out of air. Full ground. <laughs> the mature. And mature and immature believers, Paul will toss those two terms around. Someone who's immature in the faith or mature in the faith. And you're like, what is he really talking? What is a mature Christian? What's an immature Christian? What does that look like? Well, Paul gives us more insight into that as we get further in the book. So I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But a mature, a mature believer is someone who has discernment as to what is good for them to digest spiritually. Someone who's an immature Christian will just about, like a baby, put anything in their mouth and eat it. I have a two-year-old who just, we recently took camping, and she gave herself a, a dirt facial and a dirt petty spa, like little, she had a bucket of dirt, and she put it all over her face and then put her feet in the dirt and sat there. Like she was getting a little pedicure. It's hilarious, super cute. It's disgusting, but it was cute. Um, my nine-year-old, if he did that, we have an issue, right? We'd be calling doctors, see what's wrong with this kid, right? We're like, eh, did you fall? Um, but to her, that's, that she's two. It's like what she does. We explain that it's not okay, but we, we you know, she's two. It's, it's acceptable at this point. There are certain things within a new believer that we're like, okay, I, I see. This is just an immature thing. This is a, an understanding right now. You need to understand there's the grace of God. There's, there's an immaturity that they don't have discernment. They're just eating everything. They're like, have you read that book about the shack? 
have you read this? And did you hear about gold dust coming out of the ceiling up in Northern California? I mean, we're going. I mean, and so the Holy Spirit, but woo, yeah. And it was so crazy. This guy shouted like all these different languages at me. And I was like, dude, this is the spirit of God. I'm moving to Texas. How do you know? Because I saw a guy who had Texas underwear and I was like, that's God. It's the Holy Spirit. And you're like, ah, the sermon would say no. Right? That's why we, when we talked about wisdom, we went through the book of Proverbs. If you weren't here for that, we talked about how wisdom is a community project. Now, maturity, when Paul talks about maturity, he doesn't just talk about age. Because I know a lot of old people are really dumb too, right? It doesn't just mean you're, you're old and so you're wise in, in maturity. He's talking about someone who's walked with Jesus for a long time. And you know, have you, if you've ever talked to someone who's walked with Jesus for a long time, you know. Like, you know it. They're, when they speak, they, there's such a calmness and a quietness, and there's a maturity of like, oh man, brother, sister, let me just speak truth. And when they do, there's this spirit, like there's, the Holy Spirit hits you in the face, but also there's this calm peace that comes over you. You're like, see, that's, that's wisdom. That's maturity. They have discernment. That's what I need or that's what I want. That comes with time and walking with Jesus. And listen, there is no shortcut to maturity with God. It's not like one day you wake up and you're like, yep, mature in my faith. Bam, it happened. It is time spent walking with Jesus. It is time spent in his word. It is time spent praying, seeking the will of God, seeking his face, walking with Jesus. That is something that, that can take place in your life at age 20 if you've been walking with God for 10 years, or it could happen at age 50 if you've been walking with God for, you know, however long. Age is not necessarily the requirements, talking about time spent with Jesus. Um, in the same way that a baby just puts anything in its mouth, so an immature baby Christian eats anything. So Paul says the things that are, are lofty we reserve those things for the mature. It's something as they come along that they will begin to digest and eat. And, you know, just like anything, you don't give, um, you don't give a brand new child like a steak and you're like, deal with it. Figure it out how to get it down your gullet, right? They eat soft things. They eat, you know, it's little by little. Eventually they work their way up. And the same is, Paul says, with Christians, with those who know Jesus, we work our way up. And so when we came to you, we spoke in simplicity, not because the gospel does not contain wisdom. Not because it's not something of, of, that is beyond, a lot of it beyond our understanding. He says in verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for they had known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When he speaks of a mystery, this is an important New Testament word uh, in the Greek. It's the word mysterion. Um, and the mystery that we experience is in our context is like, it's a mystery. We'll never know. Like, right. Unsolved mysteries. We will never know what truly took place at, in that forest that night. If you ever watched Dateline, <laughs> Dateline took a hard turn towards murder at one point. It used to be like a wholesome show. Now they're like murder. Everything's murderous. Anyway, um, but mystery is something in our context, like it's a mystery. Like I'll never figure it out. I'll never know it. In, in Paul's context, a mystery is, is not that where something's never able to be found out. This word, it actually means it's the form of mystery that Paul's explaining is that this mystery may be something that you know or may not know, but the only way that you would know it is that someone has revealed it to you. 
You may know it, you may not know it. But the only way that you will know is that someone has revealed this mystery to you. And that's what he's saying here. The mystery that we speak of, it was hidden for a time, but now has been revealed by the Spirit of God through the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Like, we could not have understood that. And those that have gone before us, Moses, the prophets, I mean, all these people that, that longed for the day to see the Messiah, they had no idea what God had in store, is what he's saying. We speak in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of glory, which none of the rulers of this age. Now, here's the thing. This sacred secret has now been revealed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, who are the rulers of this age? This is a hot little debate as to who it is. Some believe it's the religious leaders, it could possibly be, but some believe, however, one could say that the demonic powers were ignorant of what would result from the crucifixion of Jesus. You think about the plan, all the times in which the nation of Israel had been oppressed, it almost wiped out. If you look at their history, I mean, Pharaoh's whole thing where he wiped out all the male children, I mean, Satan was behind that to wipe out the Messiah that would come. Right? His, his whole desire was to kill the Messiah, to have him never be born, never come. And there on the cross, Satan laughs and mocks as Jesus dies upon the cross. Had they known, right, what would come from his death, do you think they would have put him to death? They, they actually led to their own demise. Colossians talks about how he makes a public spectacle of demonic forces. I mean, this is something that they thought, this is it, we win. Until the third day when Christ raises from the dead. Colossians 2.15. And they had known, had they known that they were sealing their own doom by inciting the crucifixion, they would not have done it. Now there's debates as to what that is. I don't know. You can, you know, decide. But it sounds like kind of like the demon one. But anyway. But the Jews were deceived as well as they put Jesus to death. They were looking for a king to come and set up his kingdom there on the earth, then and now, to, re to free them from the rule of Rome. And Christ came as a suffering servant. No matter who exactly the rulers of the age are, their defeat is certain. Who are coming to nothing, the Bible says. Their day is over and the day of Jesus Christ is here. But I love that Paul just slips in that little Lord of glory. Paul didn't set out in this moment to kind of write about the deity of Christ, but here he does. As he's writing in this, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's caught up and swept up by the Spirit, as he's writing, he says, the Lord of glory, meaning the Lord of the most exalted state, that Jesus is, in fact, God. But, verse 9, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, Paul is quoting um, Isaiah 64, 4. But this is not a strict quotation. This is Paul paraphrasing scripture. So if you look up Isaiah 64, it's a little different in what, what it says. Paul's quoting uh, and paraphrasing this verse, but it reminds us that God's wisdom and plan is past our finding out on our own. When he says, I has not seen, uh, a lot of people equate this verse to heaven, right? He's not like, I has not seen. Ear has not heard, I mean, what heaven will be like. And that is absolutely true. It is incredibly true. Like, we have no idea in our finite mind, like, what heaven's going to be like. Think about a day that you've had that, that you've not experienced any pain. 
or any disappointment. Try and, try and find one <laughs> in, your, in your memory, right? You're like, tomorrow? The sun will come out. No, you know, you're, maybe it'll be tomorrow. A day without disappointment, without a, a, a mixed up order. Like, if you could just get my coffee right, let's start there, all right? But every day we've experienced some kind of pain or some kind of disappointment. Imagine a place that exists where that doesn't happen. A place of no pain, no suffering, no death. Think about nothing ever dying. Because what, what is a constant reminder in this world that there is something very wrong with this world is death. Death reminds us that there is something wrong and systematically wrong with this world. And there's outrage over death. Why? Because it's wrong. And every person written on their heart knows that this should not happen. This shouldn't happen. But sin has brought this about. Imagine a place we can't. We cannot imagine a place where there is no disappointment, no death, no tears, no suffering, no darkness, no sea, no, I mean, you just think about it for a minute. Try and wrap your head around it. No sun, because the glory of God illuminates the entirety of it. A place where you have space to yourself, but yet you're experiencing the presence of God, complete and total fellowship with him forever and ever and ever. Nothing ever runs out, never, never runs dry. I mean, you are set for all eternity. We can't imagine it. Absolutely true. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, but this is not what this verse is talking about. This is not talking about heaven. Look what it says. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Hold on a second. You mean all those times at funerals where the pastor's like, no eye has seen, no ear, my brother is experiencing. That is absolutely true. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about something that has been revealed. He's talking about something that the Old Testament saints longed to see, but yet didn't. And here he says, we have seen it. It has been revealed. What is it? It is the amazing, multifaceted, unbelievable gospel message. He's encouraging the Corinthian church to be enraptured and completely consumed with the amazingness, if that's even a word, of the gospel itself. No eye had seen, no ear. We couldn't even fathom it in our depths of our soul or kind of rise to this uh, epiphany that this is what God was going to do. We had no clue. There were pictures of it. There were types of it. There were times in which God screamed that this is how it's going to be, but yet it escaped Man's wisdom. And here we are on this side of the cross and it has been revealed to us. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Remember, he's saying it's not the wisdom of men. It is God's spirit who has revealed these things. It is God's spirit who's drawn all men unto himself. It is God's spirit that's been drawing you to him with his loving kindness. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, but God has revealed them to us. This glorious thing has been revealed by the gospel. And Paul is communi communicating much the same message of Ephesians chapter 3. When we read this, you can perceive my, the insight into the mystery of Christ, which 
was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Before the life and ministry of Jesus, God's people had a vague understanding of the glory of his work and what it would do for his people, but they really did not and could not fully understand it ahead of time. They couldn't. When Moses would go in and he'd have the veil over his face and he would come out and, I mean, that, would, that, that glow would begin to dissipate. Listen, it was a picture of the fact that when Christ came, no longer was there a limited time that you could spend in the presence of God. It wasn't that you had to go to a location, but that you would become the location for the Spirit of God. That the presence of God would never leave you, it never forsake you, you would never be apart from it. No one could ever fathom that happening. Why would a God, holy, righteous, pure, ever do that for you and me? Why would he do that? Because he loves you. He loves you. Paul's saying this is one of those facets of the gospel that blows us away. Why would God do something like this? It's, it has to be his love. It has to be his love. And this is where we as the church say, we cannot, no flesh can glory in the presence of God. Because this, I mean, no one could have thought this up. None of us have, could have made it or earned it. I mean, this is something that's been freely given to us. He goes on to say, for the spirit it searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And that's, you know, super self-explanatory, obviously. When you read that, you guys know what that means. I'm just kidding. I had no idea either. I was like, yeah. Skip. You got it? All right, moving on. Super rad. What does he mean? <clears throat> we can't. Don't look at me like that. Who says that I have to know everything? Okay? Right? We can all agree. Like, I don't know everything. I don't know much. I don't even know how to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> uh, this is another story for another time. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. But it's been revealed to us through His Spirit. Paul reminds us that only the Holy Spirit can tell us about God and His wisdom. This knowledge is unattainable by human wisdom or investigation. It's not something that we've dug into or found out. It's by the Spirit of God. Because salvation is a work of God. By God. For God. For the glory of God. And Paul argues from the Greek philosophic premise that like is known only by like. How many of you have a dog? How many of you, your dog is your best friend? I have a dog. He's the only one in the house who likes me in my house. He's my best friend. He follows me around. His name is Sully. He's a great dog. Okay, I like to think that I know what he's thinking, right? I like to think that I, knows, I know, and he knows what I'm thinking. When I look at him and he looks at me and he's like, yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just like, one of the, like, we know. You know what I know. You know. We're good buddies. But I don't really know what he's thinking. I could be thinking like, man, this dog loves me so much. I could tell. And the whole time he's going, this guy's so dumb. This guy's so dumb. <laughs> We don't know. You don't know what this animal is thinking. Even so, we could guess what God is thinking and about his wisdom, but we would never know unless he told us. You can try and guess maybe what God's thinking, but you don't have to guess. 
It's here in his word. If you ever think, God, what do you think of me? It's written down in his word. You don't have to guess like God's mad. How do you know? I'm, I'm just guessing. His word tells you that he loves you unconditionally. His word tells you this. His word tells you that about how God sees you and how God feels about you. But yet we, we choose to try in our own wisdom to guess what God is thinking. Even so, we could guess, but we do not know unless the Holy Spirit has told us. We would never know unless he told us. And he says, yes, the deep things of God. Some people just love like the deep things of God. Uh, there was a friend of mine who loved to just debate about the deep things of God. And I don't like to debate about the deep things of God because like I said, they're deep. And I, I don't know. Well, that's my answer for everything is I don't know. My wife even told me, she's like, that is the most annoying answer. And you say it all the time. I don't know. Because I don't know. And there's a lot of times where people are like, what about this? What about this? I don't know. I don't know if you were here last night when John gave us every kind of argument that's being presented. And he's like, I don't know. Because we don't know. There are certain aspects of God that we just don't know. We're not going to know. There are deep things of God in their love of human wisdom in Corinth. They proudly thought that Paul was just dealing in the basics of God. Like the gospel is just some basic thing for us. And Paul insists that this message gets to the heart of the deep things of God. That this is the deep things of God. The gospel, that's why in every epistle that Paul writes, it's a deepening of our understanding of the gospel message. To the Galatians, he writes, hey, it's not about these extra things. There's no other gospel but the one that we preach to you. Don't go back into religiosity thinking that's how you're saved. To the Ephesians, it's like this, this incredible crescendo of the Christian faith. We're, we're, we're talking about how we're lost and gone, but God has done this. I mean, it's, it's an incredible revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Colossians, I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, talk about a deep book. Read Colossians. Philippians, I mean, this, this thing of suffering, how someone could suffer in prison, be able to experience the joy of Jesus Christ because of the gospel. Paul continues to write, stay, hold fast to the gospel. The writer of Hebrews says, do not forsake the gospel. So Christian, if you're like, I just want to know the deep things, sink deep into the gospel. Know it backwards, forwards, never grow old of it, never grow tired of hearing it, never when a gospel message is preached and, and an invitation extended, do we check out as the church? Go, oh, this isn't for me. You can be blessed in that moment. Because it's, it takes us again back to the beginning, where it all started for us. We believed in that and that has taken us to where we are now. The gospel never is something that becomes elementary to us and basic for us. It is the core and heart of who we are and why we do what we do, how we live. It is the heartbeat of God is the gospel. And so we hold fast to it. We love it. We should rejoice over it. And he says, and we're going to speed up. Verse 12 through 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of uh, who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us from God. Now, I love those words, freely given, to know, receive. I mean, do you understand that God wants us to know who he is? 
God is a God of relationship. He wants you to know who he is. And so the deep things of God is something that is understood. We can understand these things, but it's by the Spirit of God that reveals them. And so we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must be regenerated. Someone who's not a Christian doesn't understand the things of God. They read their Bible and I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. And you're like, I know. Because believing is then seeing. It's not seeing is then believing. It's, it's opposite. It's, it's upside down. This wisdom comes from the spirit who is from God, not from the spirit of this world. Since every believer has received the spirit who is from God, every believer has, the, has access to the spiritual wisdom. He goes on to say uh, in verse 13, these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, okay, this is where it starts to pick up here. I appreciate you bearing with. Shake it out, shake it out. If you need to move around, hey, it's not gonna hurt my feelings. It's warm. Just don't fall asleep. Pretend like you're praying, okay? Just kind of shake it out here, okay? Here we go. The natural man. This is where we need to understand what's happening here. He draws two distinctions. There's a natural man and there's a spiritual man. Or woman. <laughs> to bring it up to speed today. <laughs> He's talking about genders here, okay? It doesn't matter. <clears throat> the natural man, he says, this word is the ancient Greek word, is a word that I cannot pronounce. It starts with a P and then an S, so I'm not even going to try. Nope, not even going to try, because it's P-S-U-C-H. We're going Suchikos. <laughs> Sounds like a Pokemon, okay? So... It describes the materialist. Woo! Man, that could have been bad. It describes for us the materialist. Those who live as there is nothing beyond this physical life. This is the kind of life common to all animals, right? That is that live for today, man. It's, it's what is in front of me. It, it's, it's eating, it's drinking, it's sleeping. It's the same. I mean, it's what I can get out of this world. That's it. There's, when I'm out, I'm out. I'm dirt, I'm worm food, we're gone. It's that mentality. That there is no thought of anything beyond this life. The natural man is where we all start life. The life that is inherited from Adam. The natural man is unregenerate man. Unsaved man. And we have to deal with the material world. So there is nothing inherently sinful in natural life. And you're like, I don't want to be a natural man or a natural woman. <laughs> I, I, still, I can only hear that song now. But anyway, I don't want to like just live in the natural, so I'm going to stop eating, I'm going to stop sleeping, and um, like because those are all natural things. That's not what it's saying. Sleep is not bad. It's actually a godly thing, gift to you. Praise him. Hallelujah, right? You're like, thank you, God, for naps. And thank you for beef. I mean, what a blessing. <laughs> Snacks. I mean, gosh, wow, such a good God. God is not displeased when you have to eat and sleep and work. It's part of life. But life on this level is without spiritual insight. The tragedy is that many who profess to be Christians react so often on the level of the natural man. If you've ever gotten upset, like just unhinged at someone, and you're like, it was just natural. It just, it just was this natural thing. That is the tragedy that so many of us live on that level where we respond in the natural. When Christ has given us a new type of life, where he's regenerated the soul, no longer driven by the appetites of the flesh, but we've been given a new life where we can walk not just according to the flesh, but in victory according to the spirit. 
Alan Redpath, he says, within every child of God is the possibility of reproducing the character of Jesus Christ. Man, what a powerful quote. Within every believer, within every child of God, there is the possibility of reproducing the character of Jesus Christ. But yet we sometimes slum it and we react in the natural. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. He goes on to say that spiritual things seem foolishness to the natural man. Why waste time on spiritual things when you could be making money or having fun? Right? Those seems like, yeah, I want to make money and I want to have fun. And in order to have fun, I have to make money. Right? You know? Thing, you know. Anyway. So, what is more, he can't understand the things of God even if he wanted to because they're spiritual discerned. It would be wrong to expect the natural man to see the value of spiritual things just as it would be wrong to expect a corpse to see the material world. The natural man is an unsaved man and too many Christians still think like natural men refusing to spiritually discern things. He goes on to say in verse 16, for he who has known the mind of the Lord, or sorry, for who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. When he says who, basically like who's become the counselor of the Lord? The Greek word is the word nus or nous, N-U-S. <laughs> I obviously didn't take Greek in school. I'm still working on it. But the mind, it means that the mind or the compromising alike the faculties of perceiving and understanding and those of feeling, judging and determining is the word. Having the mind of Christ means this. We share the plan, the purpose, and the perspective of Christ. And it is something that all believers possess. When Paul says that we have the mind of Christ, he is reminding the Corinthian church, this is what has happened to you. Because he's going to go on to say, not only has this happened to you, but you're choosing to live a life of carnality, which is robbing you of a life lived in victory over sin. You're choosing this. This is a, a, a mind change that we've been given the mind of Christ. Our understanding has been open. We've been given the wisdom of God. But yet, we choose a lot of times to live and slum it in the, in the muck of sin. And we make excuses for it. But he says that we have the mind of Christ, which means, which means that we share the plan, the purpose, and the perspective. And this is something that we all now share. Romans 12.2 says, let us not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. There has been a mind shift, a mind change. Where Christ comes in, he changes my heart. He changes my mind. The way I think is differently. It's to be different. Having the mind of Christ means we understand God's plan in this world. Right? We understand that everything that's going around us. We have to understand that God has a plan. That God's not up there going, man, I really, whoa, hello, didn't expect this one. Woo! What do you think, Gabriel? I mean, it's, it's not like God's having this conversation in conference room, like, we need to figure this out. God has a plan. 
His plan in this world is to bring the gospel to unsaved men, to the natural man. But not only is his plan in this world to bring glory to himself, it is to restore creation to its original splendor and to provide salvation for sinners. It means that we identify with Christ's purpose, meaning that we too have the purpose to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. It means that we share Jesus' perspective of humility and obedience in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. That we have compassion, Matthew 9.36. And prayerful dependence upon God, Luke 5.16. We share that same mission, that same goal, that same perspective. Because Christ has given us his mind. And in the verses leading up to this verse, the mind of Christ, it says it stands in sharp contrast to first of all, the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of man. It stands in contrast. The mind of Christ involves wisdom from God, once hidden but now has been revealed in verse 7. The mind of Christ is given to believers through the Spirit of God, verses 10 through 12. The mind of Christ cannot be understood by those without the Spirit, verse 14. And the mind of Christ gives believers discernment in spiritual matters, verse 15. This is the mind of Christ. All of those things that were just written and, and given for us, this means that we have been given this mind. And Paul's reminding them, this is what has taken place. But it's easy to shut your mind off, isn't it? It's easy to shut that, that part of your brain out, the, the spiritual side of it, in, in the spiritual mind that's coming to, to the still small voice, the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you. It's really easy to compartmentalize like Christianity, like the sacred and the secular like kind of thing. Like I have this thing over here that's super sacred and like the church stuff and like the Bible thing and I have it in my car and like I, I have verses that I memorize. But then I have this like secular thing. It's like super cool. And like God's over here and then I got my thing over here. And like we're cool, right? They're separate. Not to the Christian. There is a complete overhaul of everything. Where Christ rules supreme and therefore, everything comes under his rule. The mind of Christ, we cannot, listen, it's imperative. Don't shut it off. And the way that we shut it off is by continuing to give in to the flesh. You just keep giving in. And that still small voice tells you, don't, don't. You know, you know exactly what it's going to do. You know where this is going to lead. And you just shut it off, tune it out. And you keep giving in. The way in which we tune into this mind again, as Paul encourages them to do, is to turn from the things of the flesh. To turn from them. And listen, you're not doing it by yourself. This is not some conscious effort that you're like, okay, tonight, turn from sin. Watch this. There is a determination, Paul says, right? There's a determination. There's a choice that needs to be made. But it's not in your own strength and by your own power and your own wisdom. The Spirit of God is which comes alongside of you, is available to you at any request. You can ask for it anytime, any place, and God, who is a good father, will give it to you. He will. May we not turn that part of our brain off, of our mind, this new spiritual life that we've been given. Paul wrote to the Philippian church, and the last thing he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Paul says this is the mind that we need to have. It's a mind that humbles himself, that is willing to die to self so that the spirit can come forth, so that the spirit of God can come from our life. And the way that happens is if we humble ourselves and we allow the flesh to die so the spirit can live. I don't know if you've noticed in the Old Testament that the Lord loves the smell of burning flesh. Not human, but like animal. <laughs> He's like, sacrifice this and sacrifice that and sacrifice this. It is a sweet aroma to the Lord. It was this, this picture of the burning away of flesh, the taking away of flesh. He loved it. He loves it. As we die to the flesh, as it burns away, as we allow the Spirit of God to take hold and we tune into that part of the new mind that God has given us and we obey what God has told us, man, God is pleased. God is blessed. But ultimately, I think every Christian in this room, if you were to give a Christian answer, right, we're like, I really would like to glorify God in my life, right? Like, that's a good Christian answer, right? As far as I like, what do you want to, man, I just want to glorify God. I love that one. What do, you, what do you want to do with your life? Man, I just want to glorify God. Okay. You know, but like work, what do you think about that? You know, kind of a, you know, kind of career direction do you want to go? Just want to glorify God. You're not going to do it sitting on your couch. I just want to glorify God through Xbox. Eh, I don't think so. I don't know. God's a redeemer, but I don't know if he can redeem. There, I'm just kidding. But here's the point. Man, it is so important for us to walk in the spirit because Paul's about to, he's been so sweet up until this point, just like, oh, the mind and the spirit of God. He's about to turn the corner and go, you know what? You guys are dumb. You guys are so dumb. I love you. I love you so much, but man, you're dumb. You're dumb, right? He's been so gracious. He's been so loving. And he's gonna tell them, this is why I'm writing to you, man. You have stopped thinking like Jesus and you've given into the flesh. And what is happening in this place? You're like, can't be that bad. It's jacked up. It is really bad. It is some really awful things. You think that nowadays is bad. It is bad, man. They're bad. There's some bad stuff. But what I love is that God writes to them with grace and mercy to call them back. So, Come back next week, I hope. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much, God, for your wisdom that you've given to us, how you have taken us, uh, Lord, and given us a new mind. And Lord, that um, you love us enough, God, that you don't give up on us. You are so good to continue to chase after us, to draw us back to yourself. Lord, you're so good to... to um, Give us your spirit that, that never leaves us, that never forsakes us, that dwells within us. Lord, you're so good that you speak to us even. And God, we want to be those that, that listen to your voice. We want to be those that obey you. And so God, we, we just want to take this time as we, as we worship you, as we close in worship tonight, just to, to take a little examination of our life. And if there's anything that's going on, that you have pinpointed as like, this needs to go. This needs to go. And we are just fighting you. And, and 
trying to keep these two parts of our life separate, keep you out of our personal business, as we would say. God, we pray that you would just rush in and we would know what it is to be free from the, the chains of, of those sins that ensnare us. We would know the grace of God and the love of God as you break us down to give us, and again, to rebuild us, to make us more like Jesus. And so, God, we pray as we worship you, would you just, would you do that in us? Lord, I pray that you would um, move by your spirit. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Heart in your soul.